Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to episode 48 of the NZ Tech Podcast Best of Collection 2011. You're with Bradley Burrows and Skip Parker. So uh, welcome along to the second half of our, our Best of. We're going to be sort of working through episodes 25 to 46 we're going to do this week. And we're sort of going to cover the highs and lows of a, of a big second half of 2011. Yeah, big. I, I, I think seriously the second half of 2011 is as big as it gets. Yeah, it was in, in six months we, we went through a lot oh, as a technology industry. It is it has been crazy. But when you guys of course when you guys came back from the States, uh from uh Microsoft's partner conference, worldwide partner conference, I keep calling it Windows Partner Conference, but it's the worldwide partner conference. Yep. The um you guys brought back a swag of goodies. Yes, we did. Uh in the form of Roku's, Roku's and possibly more Roku's. Oh yeah, we had, we look we were lucky because we like as I mentioned in the previous episode, we got the um we got sponsored to go over there. And so we were able to go out and test um um the Ford one of the Ford cars over there. We right. got to go to the Apple store, the Sony store, the new Microsoft store that had just opened. Yep. But we also got to go out into some of the outer um, outlet stores and fries and stuff like that. And we went nuts, putting it frankly. <laughs> just quietly. We went lot. nuts. <laughs> we went through... I, I Wow, yeah. We hit fries. Um, we literally landed and we got picked up by a friend of ours, um, Daryl Burling. And he took us. We we still had our bags from the airport. We went straight to fries off the plane, <laughs> and we spent three and a half hours in fries going around. And that's where we bought. We um, I discovered Roku, and Roku discovered me. Now, is there any truth and rumor that you've had to put another extra power phase into your house because <laughs> of all these devices? It's getting pretty close. I've got a new Wi-Fi network running through at the moment. That's right. Now, in saying that, the part of the problem with this technology is that it doesn't necessarily work so well here in New Zealand. But uh, this uh, this season, we actually managed to re- sort of fix that issue for Kiwis and just how we uh, connect back to the states to get that uh, all important Netflix type content. Yeah, one thing I forgot to mention on the previous episode was. Um, one of my areas of, of, of passion is, is around the home theatre side of things. And this is actually what got Paul and I talking, was I was trying to work out various ways on getting le- legal access where I pay for things, but I wanted to have the content that where I'm paying for it. And I was designing this concept at the time. And I've actually st- I found the drawings the other day of all my different designs and how to do this. And this is how we came up with the idea of using the strong VPN and, and then getting Netflix working and then all the other services lighting up. Um, now, the Roku box. We're now in a position where everyone on the NZ Tech Podcast team has a Roku box. And I, and I want to say thank you, guys. That was a great little gift you brought back from the States. It's kept me busy for days. So we, we've got a sort of a split here. We've got some of us on the USA VPN service, so we get USA content, and then Skip's been staying on the local New Zealand loop, if you like, to see what it'd be like if you bought one from Amazon, for instance. So yeah. what have you what have you found that up and works? Is it going? Is it feature rich? What are you thinking? Um, yeah, so the, the, the usual services that you'd sign up, the big ones that they advertise, which is the uh, Netflix and the Amazon on demand, um, Hulu. Um, Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus, yeah. Yep. 
um, those sites definitely a no-go. And the thing that really annoyed me is Amazon kind of led me down the path of, yes, you're going to be able to watch content. And then at the very last minute, after spent all this time registering and everything, it said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. You're from New Zealand. Yeah. Which was really flipping annoying. But um, there are other services there. There's lots of international streaming services which work very well. Um, some of the application type things, the Facebooky type things, getting pictures off Flickr and that sort of stuff, work very well. Um, the I've been using MediaFly quite heavy, heavily, and that seems to have a heap of services that you could you couldn't get um, outside of America. So that and that works exceptionally well. I was really impressed with it. Um, the one thing I did try was. Um, trailers it has uh, Flickster and the Flickster service isn't so slick from a New Zealand standpoint it's just a bit jumpy you, jittery you get, those, you get those pauses and and buffering type type issues right yeah exactly yeah. now the um, the one thing that I noticed is that it does scale the video back in quality based on your internet connection now I thought this was a manual setting where I could change it but it doesn't appear to be anything there that I can do but and it, and it took a while for it to pick up that hey I'm on a really bad connection from the states um, you know data coming in from the states so it took a little while to kick in and sort of drop things back and you sat there watching stuff buffer for a little while but generally the experience is really good streaming TV on this thing is flipping fantastic it's so a what, really nice experience what so. was the TV that you were, you were able to stream what was that sort of content I mean I know when I was having a look you get stuff like um uh, so, you know, some news channels. Yep, so um, the news channels work very well. So I got um, all the um, the ABC and Fox type stuff, and that's an on-demand type service. But that, that's good because a lot of the stuff you want to watch from Fox is um, sort of bite-sized, snacky video. You don't necessarily want to sit there watching Fox stream. Um, yeah, but you don't get an option to watch it stream either, no. right? You've got to go pick a particular story, watch that. So you've got to be sitting there with your remote control sort of controlling. You can't just hit play and and, no. and sit back. Although you can do with, was it Al Jazeera that lets you just watch, watch live? Al Jazeera and NASA TV are both live streaming services. Now, NASA TV wasn't fantastic quality, but Al Jazeera was really good it was very watchable mm. um, which is quite good for us down here in New Zealand because if you don't have a I think Al Jazz is on Sky isn't it I'm yes, not sure it is. yeah it is yeah. But uh, if you're not- no I think it, it's on one of the it's on certain hours on like Stratus, oh, Stratus or yeah. Yeah, one of those so. So, yeah, so for example if you're trying to watch the news for um, what was happening in Egypt at the time Al Jazz was the best service um, this streaming service would be, the, by and large, the best way of watching it uninterrupted. Yeah, they so, had some pretty good content when I watched it the other day, actually, around what had been going on in the Middle East over the last little while. And, and um, yeah, yeah, no, I thought it was good. Yeah, so everyone labels me a terrorist because I watch Al Jazeera, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it's another story. But, yeah, it's um, I, I am really impressed with the Roku and um, very simple interface. Very simple interface. And when you say simple, are you saying simple as in dumb simple or simple as in really clean user eye to user interface to use? Actually, I need to clarify that. Generally, it's very easy to use. There, What happens is that if you're a channel provider, you can sort of design your own channel, how it's going to look. And some channels do get a little bit, oh, what the heck were you thinking with the up and down arrow and stuff like that. So it differs a little bit. But generally, it's it's quite easy to get in, find what you want, and get out. Now, Caleb, my son, loves it because we can watch Sesame Street. 
off media fly. That's great. That's really cool. Now, for those that weren't listening in next week, just to, to describe the, the Roku box, it's a little uh, box, probably similar size to a CD, and what is it? It's less than an inch thick, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's tiny. It's um, tiny. It's, is it as small as the Apple TV 2? No, the Apple TV 2 no. is smaller, but right. not by much. Not yep. by much. So, And it's got a connection to plug into your TV. You've got a remote control for it. You need to hook it up to the internet either via wired connection or a Wi-Fi connection. Uh, and then, yeah, because it's designed for the U.S. market, there are, there are obviously the services we talked about there, Netflix and so on, that if you want to use them, you've got to jump through hoops. But otherwise, the, all the things you're talking about, you can just plug one of these in and get, and get up and running pretty easily, right? Yeah, so I've not connected this to a US VPN at all. Yeah. So I've done the setup configured, registered all sorts of bits and pieces, got the updates to it yep. as well without having to be in the States. So this box will work in New Zealand quite happily. I, I think that's a, a really cool thing to, to note is that we can get some of these services down here that do go, give us a little bit more choice about what's going on as well. Um, and, and once you light it up to the US, obviously you, do, you get the benefit of Netflix and Hulu, but you can still get up to date of all the news that's going on, all the information like you said and uh, there's even a few movie trailers and websites like that on on there as well, isn't there? So yep. it's a really nice service, and I've still got mine streaming wirelessly at the moment. I, I have no loss of can, like buffering or anything. It's just perfect. It's really good. Now that, that was a great interview, um, and fortunately, three weeks after we talked about that, um, this happened. Now, uh, when we were chatting last week, you you, you were giving me some uh, you know insights into what you were up to when you, when you heard that uh, HP had purchased Palm last year. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Funny enough, as I was uh, telling Paul, the uh, date was April 28th of last year, and the reason I know was uh, one of my colleagues and I were at Microsoft um, learning about uh, Windows Phone 7 strategy when we were called out of the room um, into a meeting by our senior vice president. And uh, when I turned on the conference call, um, lawyers began introducing themselves, so I knew there was something up. So since then, it's been a whirlwind, but a great experience, and I'm really happy to be part of the experience of acquiring Palm. Excellent. So that's quite a big change for uh, for HP to, to really being um, uh, in the operating system uh, business on on uh, on mobile devices. In the past, of course, uh, you've used Windows CE and and, and Windows Phone, uh, and and now of course you've got WebOS, which um, you know has come coming out here in New Zealand. Uh, I think next week uh, with the touchpad. Um, but you've got a range of other other sort of things likely to happen with WebOS in, in the longer term. Can you give us a picture of, of what that might look like, where else we might see uh, the WebOS operating system ending up? Sure. I, I, I think how we really envision this business is that people are going to evolve towards experiences. And you can already tell today people are asking for types of products or types of experiences they are familiar with. We think as people evolve into what they want to use and what they're comfortable with, they're going to walk into uh, an operator store or a re retail shop and ask for blank type of experience. And we think those experiences are going to be based on ecosystem. I think there's two very well-established players now. Um, but what we, what we saw as the opportunity was there was no 
OS or no ecosystem that really operated across multiple devices. And that's really why um, we thought the opportunity to purchase Palm and deliver WebOS was so great, that we could deliver a consistent, a scalable, um, and really just a great experience across not only your mobile devices, but potentially onto devices that you may be used to using that are traditionally unmobile, like your desktop. So with WebOS, um, as we've talked about, we are launching the HP Touchpad next week, but we plan on bringing a whole range of devices um, with WebOS as either an operating system or as an applet to run to really unify that experience across um, all the mobile devices or immobile devices you may be using in your life. So, so things like... Go ahead. Oh, sorry, well, I was just going to ask, are you going to look to expand that across into printers, televisions? Is it going to be the primary driving OS for everything inside the HP world? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a primary driving um, operating system w- within the HP world, but I would think it's a strong experience that we want to drive. So um, our CEO and our executive vice president, Todd Bradley, have already made public announcements of us bringing WebOS to uh, desktops and notebooks and printers. But it's, it, w- it would be no surprise to you, or you should not be surprised, to see WebOS on a variety of different devices on operating system, or excuse me, on form factors that you are comfortable with today, and on other form factors that you may not think about yet. So we have a lot of those things in the pipeline. But the idea at the end of the day is as people's needs evolve, in especially in the mobile space, we want that experience to extend. And HP is going to be ahead of that curve in ensuring that that experience is on WebOS. Now, that, that was a great interview. Um, and fortunately, three weeks after we talked about that, um, this happened. HP, they've been uh, they've been taking up a huge amount of the news in the last in the last few days. Uh, you know, last week we were uh, we were we were saying how pleased we were that they'd listened to our pleas and had dropped the price on the uh, the touchpad in New Zealand just a few hours after we asked them to. Um, now, something that we didn't ask for were the announcements that came through uh, the end of last week. Yeah, so um, obviously, I think the rule of thumb is um, if you review something, you break it. If Skip reviews something, they discontinue the product. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the way it works. Oh, look, it, I'm, I'm really sad about this because so it actually is a good product. Brilliant. I, I think HP's kind of run with the horse to the gate a little bit on this one, I think. That's going to be an interesting conversation on the HP stand down at Tech Ed tomorrow because it's a very big stand. And, and obviously, I have HP in my building. Um, and it was kind of sad to see literally um, as I was coming in the office that morning, and I think, Paul, you were you and Skip were texting me saying, have you seen, have you seen? There were people running around outside ripping down the banners that they had hanging out the windows. Oh, wow. And it was literally that urgent. And I, I know a little birdies told me that they were – 80% under the way with a huge competition for um, development developers for um, the universities. Okay. And they were literally about to start handing out all this money to these kids that have been developing on WebOS, and they've had to pull the plug on that as well. So it's not just the, the phone. It's the impact of the brand and everything of HP as, as a whole company. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, really. It really is. Oh, it is, it is sad news. And, uh, you, know, the, the, um, you know, the discussion that, that we had on the show a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with one of the chaps from HP and you know he was in the process of uprooting his family and and moving to Singapore to run that you know particular division across Asia so you know there'll be there'll be a really large fallout from this but it, it is really sad to see that um, touchpad and the web OS is uh, is you know pretty much being um, 
being dumped by Hewlett Packard. So, uh, yeah, sad, sad news there. I mean, interestingly, you know, this week we've seen, uh, well, over the weekend we saw uh, uh, the price of the, the remaining touchpads that were available in the US drop to uh, $99 for the 16-gig <laughs> model and 149 for uh, the 32-gig, and then we saw similar things in Australia and then today in New Zealand. Uh, in fact, those that were following... Um, NZ Tech Podcast on Twitter would have been the first uh, first to hear that that price drop was also coming to New Zealand when we uh, uh, announced that that yesterday. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been pretty crazy, but in the end, they've sold a lot of touchpads, right? I think all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and that was the end of WebOS. Yeah, I was a little disappointed because I got my hands on, uh, I think it might have been my first actual hands-on review of uh, some technology at length. Yes. And uh, since then I've decided that uh, if you want to kill your product brand, you just give it to me to demo perhaps. But yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's right. I remember that episode. But look, we were lucky to get um, Paul Bosch off from HP in here. And um, you know, he went through with us in, in quite a bit of open detail of actually the process and what actually happened around the WebOS stuff. So we're going to fire some questions at you. So WebOS. So what what's the go with WebOS? Because it got, obviously, we, we were big fanboys of it, to be honest. We saw it in the US, and Paul and I got quite excited about it when we saw it at Best Buy. And then suddenly we got told it's gone. It's gone from every de- every device. There, are, I read there's a lot of um, talk about having it on printers and, and a lot of other devices. Are you able to give us the complete nuts and bolts of what's happening with WebOS? I can certainly tell you where we stand today, and WebOS will continue as a product. Um, like you, it's a, I believe it's probably one of the, the most important assets that we own today. It's a completely differentiated operating system yeah. built from the ground up. It has all of the features that we believe the market needs in terms of agility, being written for a mobile device, all of those things. The couple of people that have used it love it, myself included, and the board has made the statement that WebOS will continue. We will continue to invest in the product. We will continue to develop it. The only part of that that has changed is that when we introduce the tablet, the tablet being the, the hardware version of the WebOS solution, the tablet itself, the product that we brought to market the board has made the decision to stop that particular product. Okay, so we're going to see it lined across your eight, the printers and everything else, which is great because I think the, the the UI suits that definitely. Is there a chance it could get resurrected in some form in the future for a tablet, or is that something you just can't you don't have no idea about? Well, the only thing I have seen is a specific statement again from the board saying we recognise the importance of the tablet market and we will be in the tablet market. Okay, that's good. That could mean many things, yes. <laughs> but we will be in the tablet market and we certainly continue to invest in WebOS. And whether that means licensing it to other companies, whether it means licensing other companies' hardware products on the operating system, I don't know. But we've sold a significant number of units, so there is an, there is an ecosystem out there already. In New Zealand alone, we sold about 2,500 units. So there is a WebOS customer base already out there, and we, continue to con- we will continue to invest in that. Well, they did sell pretty quickly once the um, once that price drop was, was announced, <laughs> as as we heard from a lot of listeners who were keen to get their hands on one. So, uh, hence why we've got one to give away tonight. It's probably the last one in the country. It probably is. <laughs> so, the, the, so the, for the developer community that's out there, WebOS is a good ecosystem still to work on as a development platform as well. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, to be honest, things are a little on ice now until the hardware product comes out. Uh, to supplement the software yep. part of it. 
but I, only a personal view, it's a big differentiator for us. HP can do nothing but continue that investment and maximize the benefit that we have from the asset. Yeah, it was great catching up with Paul. In fact, he brought a lot of clarity on a lot of things. And, um, yeah, very, very sensible and very uh, articulate guy, really. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I think the WebOS story is still developing as we record this because, I mean, in the episode 46 we've just recorded this week, there's even been further updates where WebOS is now moving to open source, but HP have left the door open to in 2013 to potentially make some more hardware. But HP, would, I think, worldwide were just completely sideswiped by their senior management, to be fair, yep. and the announcements that their, um, their board did to the stock exchange around some uh, breaking up of their PC division, and I think Paul came through with some really clear sort of, you know, the pain that they went through from HP side as well, and I, I really like that for an organization that can stand up and um, own up to what's gone on a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that no, was great. Of course, uh, this year we saw Microsoft uh, pull a bit of a left field uh, job on us, and um, to some degree, try and reimagine the Windows desktop. Yeah, when it's on, for argument's sake, 90 to 95% of the uh, world's computers, you've really got to be um, pretty ballsy, to put it frankly, yeah. <laughs> to, to reinvent something that's been working for them. And they came up um, and really people didn't really expect to see this Metro UI that they brought out at the build and, and to show off the new um, user interface for Windows 8 on tablet devices. Yeah, and so we uh, we managed to have a bit of a chat about that after we all bleary-eyed got up early in the morning and watched the uh, keynote from the build conference. Skip, what were the uh, what were the highlights for you of the uh, the keynote uh, last week? You were up at um, it was four a.m. for the, for the for keynote us, yeah. on uh, Wednesday morning, wasn't it? Yeah, this is why we've all got flus because we've been burning stupid hours watching this thing. So um, the keynote, I thought, just straight up. Microsoft actually did a keynote that was worthy of the label keynote. I mean, Bill Gates does some pretty cool stuff when he was involved there, but Sanofsky, I mean, a lot of people are saying, is he the new Steve Jobs? Maybe a little bit too soon to say that sort of Steven stuff. Steven Sanofsky is a similar name too. Well, that's right. But you know what? That guy nailed it. He actually made a really compelling presentation. Uh, the team that got him behind him and demonstrated stuff, Windows 8, I mean, I came out of that with, you know, I was excited. I was excited for a Microsoft product, and that's haven't been that way since Clippy was introduced for Office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously. No, I, I agree. It was, a, it was a good presentation, and, yeah, you know, definitely of... of um, yeah, you you could you could compare it to a Steve Jobs Apple presentation and say that was a top notch um, a top notch show, and also that they had the they had the technology they had a product to back it up, um, which really needed needed a whole lot more depth, obviously, than what you could catch during the keynote. But um, you you pretty much watched the whole keynote, right? It was yeah. um, it was over two hours, wasn't it, the main it keynote? Was, it was a long keynote. And to be fair, I didn't actually notice how long it was because the information that was coming through and how it was presented was actually working really, really well. So um, some of the things that I noticed in the keynote, I, I mean, they, they brought, obviously, 
Here's Windows 8. They demonstrated uh, the Metro. I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, this, um, I guess, interface in a few bloggers and a couple of the from the Windows dev team. They've released a bit of stuff, but it was the first time that we actually got our hands on, in a way, seeing it in action and some of the thoughts around how the interface interacts and uh, especially how the interface interacts with other apps. So this is things like being within an application and being able to, uh, I guess, share data between those applications. So, for example, I'm in some photos and I want to share those with my Twitter applications. It's just built into the operating system itself that you've got these linkages between applications or I think what they call them trusts or something like that so um, that was pretty 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 that's cool. A, that's a new concept I mean the main new concept that that we've seen and you know that people have been commenting on is the user interface is this touch friendly experience the metro style uh, user interface that's sort of the most obvious thing when you look at it well this looks totally different from windows where's the start menu everything's gone um, this looks sort of like a cross between an iPad and a Windows phone and who knows what, uh, something from the future. But, yeah, so I would say that's kind of the that's the obvious standout, isn't it? But you're right, there, there's some pretty smart stuff in there behind the scenes and that ability for applications to sort of seamlessly interact with each other is, a, is really a new concept. Have we seen anything quite like that before? I, I liken this to the time that Apple brought the iOS interface into play. Like we saw that the uh, the idea of there are no buttons on the screen um, in terms of physical buttons. The whole interface is theoretically reconfigurable with whatever you want. So this was, I look at this and go, this is like a generation can I say generation two touch interface? This is like the next generation of touch interface for me. It's taken some of the lessons from the Generation 1 interface, touch interfaces and it's bringing a whole heap of um, smarts, the lessons we've learnt along the way, into it. So I'm, I'm really excited. One thing I liked, touch screen, the, the picture passwords. So it's a touch interface. Why don't we just make our passwords like a touch interface? So you have your picture, your favourite picture of something. To log in, you pick three points or I think it's just three. I don't know if there's more. Maybe there's more. Who knows? Um, but you pick points on the picture that are your password. So you might go to log into my laptop. You've got to click on the dog's nose, the sun, and the, um, the, the uh, beach ball on the beach. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's going to be it's, it's one of these. It's like it's actually quite a genius password system. And um, is, from, is it secure, though? If there are, I mean, if you've got a reasonably simple picture, there might only be half a dozen points you could click on. So, well, I guess that, there's that, a question, but it, I mean, it does open up to over the shoulder password sniffing attacks and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I had to stir it, stir the pot a little bit there. But I mean, um, but I mean, it's early days, isn't it? I mean, we're yeah. really just seeing a sample of what Windows 8 will be like when it releases at some stage next year. Yep. Uh, but yeah, thing you know, things like the the, the login experience, the lock the lock screen that uh, you know that Windows comes into when you when you turn it on. Uh, you know, these things all have a have a um, an amount of freshness to them. Some of them draw from other experiences, and you know, we look at the new uh, the lock screen on Lion, for instance, or that sort of start uh, screen. There there are some reflections of that as well. So yeah, as as you can see, or here I should say, um, yeah, it's going to be. A, they have bet the farm, pretty frankly. Now we we managed to get our hands on some early devices as well. We've had a little bit of a play with it. Yep. 
it's interesting. I think it's got a lot of potential, but the builds, we've got to wait for the beta build to come out in February. Yeah, and the good thing about it is they're engaging with the community on this. I mean, there's been a lot of flack about uh, perceived bad choices that Microsoft have made on the pro- product. Yep. Um, but I think to Microsoft's credit, they're open and listening. So, yeah, next year is going to be interesting. I think uh, could could it be Microsoft's year for the tablet? Well, one interesting change that really happened that took a while, again, it was another sleeper one, was that when at CES, I think it was this time last year, they announced the movement to ARM. And at that point in time, people just went, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to be doing some ARM work. Then when Windows 8 started coming out, people started putting two and two together a lot that holy cow, we're going to have iPad-styled, maybe even thinner devices, running this new Windows 8, which is not going to have a desktop on ARM-based devices. And they're going to be doing Intel as well for the desktop interface. So, yeah, it could be. Um, I think we've got to wait and see what the hardware's going to look like because at the end of the day, one of the beautiful things that Apple's done with their iPad devices and a lot of the other devices is the hardware is gorgeous. Yes. You pick it up and you go, ooh. Uh, and, and Samsung's doing that now as well. Yeah. And, of course, Samsung's had a huge year um, bringing out some unbelievably awesome devices um, and getting caught up in patent and legal nightmares with Apple. And No, who hasn't been caught up with patent things with Apple lately? This so is true. Can... This has been the year of the patent wars. Oh. It's like a Spider-Man's web of, uh, of legal litigation. Um, BlackBerry um, have also tried to do a few things this year. I think it would be fair to say that um, they have not had their best year. I would say it's one of the biggest uh, downfalls in a technology company I've seen in about the last 10 years, to be fair. Yeah. They've gone from owning the smartphone market, being the uh, preferred choice for every CIO, CEO, to suddenly struggling to keep going. Um, I was listening the other night that some of their execs got drunk on a flight from Toronto to China or something, and they've been fired, had to be restrained, and they've just announced um, yesterday that their new BlackBerry has been delayed by a year and won't be out until 2013 because they require a quad-core now um, CPU to run their new phones. So BlackBerry, unless they're going to get bored, they've they've got to pull something out here. They really, really do. And, of course, they had the playbook. Yeah, and the playbook was bad not so good I mean who releases a tablet now with no email client yeah <laughs> yeah uh, of course uh, the people that are still owning the market space in terms of tablets was Apple with the uh, release of an iPad 2 this year yep which was uh, mixed reviews and to be fair Apple probably haven't had the most innovative year that they've had for a while no, but I think I think one of the things you raise in I think episode thirty four thirty five is that Apple go through these cycles where they every third year they like to um, have the new big wow factor, so they step up to a new version, and then in between those other two years they just do little incremental ones. And the problem is, is that the IT and consumer community, you, you, me, and the listeners, yep. expected every year. And we've got to realize that Apple are on a three-year cycle most times, and the iPad 3 potentially will be the next big leap. The iPhone 5 wouldn't be the next big leap. So yeah. we, we can't expect it every time. I know, that's the, the nature of it now. We expect so much more out of our equipment. Now, of course, the year wasn't all about tablets and mobiles. We also uh, got to catch up with some other incredibly talented Kiwi kids. Yes. Free-range robotics. Yeah, so they had the World Robotics, no, the New Zealand Robotics Champs down here in New Zealand, and this is to go to the World Champs. Now, just to put this in context, these are a bunch of young 
boys and girls, you know, between I think ten to sixteen, um, they do this in their own time. Their parents fundraise to get these people, these their kids around the world. It costs about forty thousand dollars. And they build some of the most amazing technology with these predefined um, kits, um, kits, and it is just incredible what they achieve. So we, we now have in the studio uh, some of the team from the Free Range Robotics crew. Now, who have we got here in the studio with us? I've got you've got Terry Allen, Kate Gillard, Ethan Harold, and George Gillard. Uh, can you guys tell us a little bit about um, you know your background? Um, well, the team kind of started in around 2008, and um, we just kind of grown from there. How many of you went up to the US? Uh, have been up to the US over the last sort of two or three years? Uh, well, each year we take about ten people, sometimes more. What are, what are the age groups? I mean, you guys, what, I mean, in your teens, so is, it, is it a sort of a, a young group that goes up? or? Um, yeah, there's, the youngest person on our team currently is 11, wow. um, but we range right up to 18. Fantastic. So it's mainly the teenage years. Sweet. And and what is it you actually, I mean, I've seen these guys in action over on the North Shore, but just for the people that are listening online, so what actually are you guys building and doing and, and stuff like that? Um, well, every year, Vex Robotics come out with a competition for high school students. Um, this year, it's gateway so we have to design a robot that picks up barrels and balls of about six inch diameter and score them in circular goals all over the field ranging up to 30 inches high well and what is gateway is it gateway was it yeah so what does gateway actually do do they provide you with everything or um well you get a certain challenge at the beginning of the season um and you yeah, have to design your robot around it um, using Vex parts. What is it that makes one team do better over over another? What are the what are the things that come into it in terms of design skills and creativity and and so on? Tell us about you know what you guys have done um, to differentiate your team. Um, well, we've taken ideas from other teams from the North Shore, and we've just turned them into our own to work with how we want the robot to work and how we think will be best. Yeah. Okay, so there's sort of a collaborative effort here in New Zealand where teams are learning off each other and then, you know, trying to better each other. Is that, is that what, what's happening? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And so why do you think that um, the New Zealand teams have done, you know, have done so well at the uh, at the World Champs over the, these last three years? Um, well, the New Zealand teams are constantly organising um, competitions to battle against each other. Um, so we actually have a better chance uh, than the Americans to see each other's robots and learn from each other. And, and how, how big is the is the community? Obviously, that's what it is that everyone's using here is a, is a community-type type feel. Is, is it a strong community in Auckland and around New Zealand? Um, well, at the, currently there's about 60 teams. Um, 60 teams? Yeah, 60 teams wow. around New Zealand. Um, but there are over 1,000 teams, probably about 3,000 teams worldwide at the moment in the VEX competition. Wow, that's huge. It's a lot bigger than I anticipated, you guys saying. And I have to ask this from my personal geek perspective. Obviously, there's Robot Wars. Um, you guys interested in that? Is that stuff that you've watched, viewed, or is it just sort of the uh, Hollywoodish thing of the movie of the movies that you guys go, oh, that's stupid? Um, well, it's I guess Robot Wars is a uh, only in America, I guess. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Vex Robotics is more of a challenge, like a sport, rather than a, um, a kind of battle. 
Yeah, it was great having them in the studio. Um, and of course, our, our good friend Paul was um, just bouncing around like a small child. He's a robot. He is a robot fan. He is a huge robot fan. Look, if we could afford it, we'd buy him one of those um, Hyundai white, little white robots you know, they've been designing at the moment. He could have it in his house. Well, that's right. Now, unfortunately, this year, probably the biggest story, really, uh, was the change of leadership at Apple and yes. uh, then, of course, the subsequent uh, further change of of uh, the future of Apple. Uh, so we had, uh, in episode 30, um, the news that uh, Steve Jobs had resigned from Apple as CEO, yep. uh, uh, stating that uh, health, health issues meant he could no longer fulfill the role, uh, which was... Um, a little bit of a, um, well, it wasn't a surprise. We all knew it was kind of coming, but uh, we were a little bit surprised it was so sudden, I guess. I think what was more of a surprise for a lot of people was how, um, I think within you know, 40 or 50 days later, um, the announcement came up that Steve Jobs had died. And it's going to be one of those times where it'll be, where were you when you heard about Steve Jobs passing away? And I remember someone walking up to me, um, yelling out to me, hey, they've just announced on CNN, Steve Jobs has just passed away. And it was literally this mad Twitter and just to see whether it was a prank or not, because that happens all the time. So yep. it will be one of those, you know, where were you when Steve Jobs passed away moments, I think. So the Tech Podcast team spent a bit of time sharing their thoughts about uh, Steve Jobs' uh, career and life. Yeah, it was kind of sad to hear it. Um, I I think the level of um, outpourings interesting. Well, I think you know there, there's only um, well yeah there haven't been a lot of figures that have been um, so well recognised in the technology space, and if we look back. Um, you know, obviously Bill Gates, you know, really well well known within, um, you know, what he's achieved with Microsoft. And when you look at Apple, uh, you know, Apple's successes have been very, very closely tied, uh, you know, to Steve Jobs. And, and when we look at, uh, you know, how driven he was and the sort of things that that he achieved, I mean, he's had just such a uh, such a huge impact on the industry. And he was yeah. a genius. I mean, I mean, if you ever saw, there's a, there's an interview with Walt Mossberg, and he talks around actually how the iPhone got developed, and mm. it's one of the most interesting. That, that was this is the, the genius of Steve Jobs was he actually said the iPhone started out was what became the iPad, right? So they were designing this this mock-up of this iPad, and the guys, and he was a perfectionist, and he was doing all the beveled edges and everything, and apparently one night he said, look, I was in my office, I was looking at this mock-up of this device, and. He goes, I suddenly thought, I could make a phone out of this. And he goes, I, all I did, he goes, I picked up that entire project, I put it on the shelf, I grabbed all the ideas, miniaturized it, and that's how the iPhone got bought together. He goes, after the iPhone was well underway, they took the concept back off the shelf, and then that's how the iPad got created. And this that level of just that amazing visionary to be able to do that is just, oh, I just love, that's the one thing I loved about re-watching all those old things on YouTube. It was just, mm. wow. When I when I look back to, you know, I found uh, computer and, and, and electronic sort of technology really interesting uh, as a as a kid and you know I remember seeing the um, uh, the Mac in its really early years and although you had this computer with this little nine inch black and white screen 
the the attention to detail that Jobs had sort of oh, yeah. had had put into uh, delivering this product, not just the the case that was uh, you know designed to the nth degree, but it was the way the software, the typography, the layout on the screen was just so different to anything else on the market. And I remember seeing Windows when that came out in its in its you know very earliest iterations. Windows one, Windows one, mm. and Windows two, and you know they were very much. Um, you know, taking cues from from what Apple was doing, but without that uh, that same sort of um, attention to typographic detail. We well, didn't have and the some polish. Of, some of the other yeah. sort of visual elements, right? Yeah. And you know, that was one area where um, you know the early Apple products might not have delivered in in every area, but they they looked really really good. It was you know it was stunning, and the the audio sounds. Just turning on my uh, my Mac back in the eighties and just the little the little sounds it would make and so on um, were you know th- those sort of things became really iconic and I think you know Steve Jobs was a master of you know bringing these iconic products into the market well he also had a vision where he, he would look at something and I mean the mouse is a prime example right you know the story is him and Woz and three other guys went to Xerox after he got approval from HP to go out and make this this home PC at the time is what he wanted to do and he went to Xerox to, to pitch the, another idea to them and they had a mock-up of a UI and that's where he got the idea for the UI and they had this big um, wooden box on a desk with a cable on it and they said this is going to move, move this one pixel thing around on this, on, the, on this device and we're going to use it to input things and Jobs took that and developed that into what became the mouse but he took this ugly <laughs> you know, brute of a thing and made it to this beautiful aesthetic practical consumer friendly thing and, and that's what Jobs could do he could look at something and make everything that was ugly where they were leveraging other people's ideas they could take it and then make it good so, yeah, it was it was a sad time. I think um, since that's all happened, the Steve Jobs box come out. We've all had a read. We've all got to then. I think the um, uh, the dust has settled a little bit, and people's opinions are sort of floating between sheer genius and he could be quite. A, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Skip, help me out. <laughs> uh, he was a bit of a maniacal control freak. Yeah, and a perfectionist. Yeah, and look, there's nothing critical about that. He's just the products he produced were amazing. But look, I mean, and we're going to hear. Well, I'm sure they'll make a movie, and I'm sure they'll do all the other bits and pieces. But yeah, we all had some time to process it through, and and I think the Apple community and the IT community at large have lost a a huge innovator that has taken and reinvented things and that's been my thing I think if there's one thing that I've learned about Steve Jobs he reinvents and makes things work smarter for people yeah yeah well, not to finish the show on uh, the sad note of the year, I thought we would just close up our, I guess, uh, recap of the year with a couple of our favourite clips from um, from the last 45 episodes. So we've had a few exclusives come through here, and um, one of them was um, we managed to get our hands on a recording of these phone scammers where they call up and try and get you to um, access a website or install some software. Yeah, and they had some pretty hilarious consequences, so let's have a listen to those. <laughs> What folder do you want me to open, mate? So we're starting partway through the call, right? Sorry? Who is this? Hello? Who am I speaking to now? Uh, yes, hi, sir. This is Steve Wilson, and I'm the senior Microsoft certified technician. So, so, so Typical social engineering hack there. Yes. We're about in Auckland. Yes, sir. We are located in Auckland. We are about in Auckland. 
Where are you based in Auckland? It's 297 Queen Street, Auckland, sir. 297 what? Queen Street. Queen, can you spell the street name? I'm just, I'm just a little concerned because um, sometimes uh, your phone line does not... The address? Okay, the address. Hang on, just a bit here. Can you tell me what's happening in Auckland at the moment? Sorry? What is happening in Auckland at the moment? What is the big event happening in Auckland? This is great. Bearing in mind, this is just before the World Cup final. Yes, so it's not a small event. No, it's, it's a pretty clear weather. <laughs> oh, okay. And what's, what, what's the big, what, what is the big sporting event happening in Auckland right now? Sorry? What is, well, there, there is a big, big event happening in Auckland right now. You must, be, you must know it if you live there. What, what's happening in Auckland? Is event happening in Auckland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Sir, we are calling you from the computer maintenance department, not from the sport department. <laughs> <laughs> That's he brilliant. has no idea. That's brilliant. And, I mean, the, the, okay... There's, Zealand, a few, there's a few obvious things here, aren't there? Yeah, New Zealand in infrastructure call. is at times a little shaky, but it's not... I mean, telephone conversations no. are not that shaky. Not, not across town. No, no, not from Auckland Central. Look, I think we've said this a hundred times. No one will really call you up and ask you for your username and password for any service. So, as you can hear, um, obviously, the uh, we managed to sort of lead them on as long as we could, and they are very persistent. But we actually know of people that have been caught out by this, don't we? We heard about this the other day. Yeah, unfortunately, actual actual business has been caught out too. So, it's something we need to be aware of, and uh, I think that's uh, just you know part of the service the Intertech Podcast provides is just being aware of some of the craziness that's going on. Now, Brad, I have to pick out one of my most favourite moments here. Um, <laughs> People don't quite realise just how many times it takes for us to start recording the show each night, and uh, often it can be the most hilarious outtakes of our lives. Oh, yes. Um, but sometimes we just let stuff slip through to on-air, like I did uh, around episode 42, when in fact, Brad, you killed off a whole bunch of emus and leapers. Well, look, what happened, what actually started was, when we started recording this show, Paul would sit there and go, welcome to the NZ podcast, you go with episode 101, I'd go... Wahoo or something like that and then I started getting a little bit and people were going oh that's really funny how you do that and we started getting a bit more creative with what's going on so I was allowed to brain dump whatever was in my head at the time so of course uh, it's all unrehearsed and uh, so this is what happened in episode 42 done it how are we doing there, chaps? Good, man. Super. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. You're with uh, myself, Paul Spain. You have Bradley Burrows. And Skip Parker. Welcome along, guys. Looks like we've got a fun agenda tonight. We're chit-chatting about the NZ iDev 2 event. Flash technology is going the way of the dodo, apparently. And the emu, and the lemma, and everything else. <laughs> the emu and the lemma. <laughs> I think the emu's still here, buddy. Um, well, yes, it's been a great year. Yes. Uh, great second half of the year. Yes. And uh, now what you, as we alluded to last episode, there was uh, time when I left the recorder going. Yes. And recorded antics in the studio. Yes. Now, the second half got a little bit more creative because I got a bit more vocal and yes. I started singing. 
Yes. And I did a, cr- a few Christmas specials ones, didn't I? Oh, And I yes. think we might play that outtake that I recorded last week because I was feeling quite sprightly. Sprightly? Uh, I think you're on drugs or something. <laughs> so we managed to, um, yeah, we've got some bloopers from the second half of the year and especially from our Christmas show we did last week because I decided to make Paul Spain, Santa Claus, and here's what we did. Hey everybody, it's the NZ Tech Podcast Christmas Special. We're going to sing a little song for you tonight to get this thing going. This is Brad on the singing duties. Over to Brad. Paul Spain's coming to town. He's the Christmas hero. He's got lots of toys. Gives them to all his friends. His house will be raided. Christmas gifts will go out. The NZ Technip podcast audience will have a party tonight. Christmas Grinch, Christmas Grinch, Christmas all the way. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but it's good fun. It's good fun. He keeps Paul's on his toes because sometimes he tries and picks up the pace so I don't get a chance. It's quite cute. No, it's great. And uh, it's been a heck of a lot of fun doing these shows uh, this year. Really looking forward to next year. I think we're um, really hitting our strides. Uh, of course, uh, the next episode we've got coming up is Paul at CES. Yeah, so next week we'll have Mr. Paul Spain. He's flying out just after New Year's Eve to head over to Las Vegas. Um, it'll be a big show because obviously Microsoft have just announced this week that that they are pulling out of CES completely, yeah. bar for um, a couple of floor walkers going around there in 2013. So Paul's going to get a chance to see pretty much one of the last sort of um, bastions of, of the big tech worlds go through. It's yeah. interesting. So uh, join us next week. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic show. Uh, Paul's going to gush about every bit of technology that he sees. So I we're know. probably going to have to try and play it at four times the speed to fit it into the normal 45 minutes. But Paul always has a major event happen when he travels. So I'm sure we're going to hear something when he goes over there. <laughs> every time Paul Spain go travelling, it's, it's just a logistical nightmare. Join us next week when Paul joins us on the phone for his one phone call from a Los Angeles or Las Vegas cell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or he ends up in Russia or something. That's right. Excellent. Hey, thank you so much for listening in to us for the year. Um, Really appreciate all your support, all your texts, all your messages. Uh, It's just been great to hear what you've been thinking about the show. Yeah, look, I really wanted to say again, we've said it every last three episodes. Thank you very much. Um, Hopefully you've had a good Christmas. Enjoy your New Year's Eve. Be safe. And we'll um, speak to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.